You know, the parable of the talents, the parable is a story that Jesus taught, is what we've been using as the basis for this. And uh, I, I'm just going to read uh, from the version um, that actually is uh, the, the older version. And I want to kind of just scroll, we'll scroll through it, and then we'll get to the part that's in, in the handout in a moment. But it says, for the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is talking here, and he's... He says, it's like a man. So he's telling a story to illustrate a spiritual principle. We talked about this the last two weeks. It's like a man traveling for a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So it's a picture of a businessman who's entrusting his, his estates and affairs, and specifically his investments. It says he, he gave to one five talents. Now, again, we talked about how in Jesus' day, a talent was a sum of money. It, it, had, it had differing values depending on the kind of weight it was and the quality of the metal. But you know, some, some accounts of talent could be as much as a common laborer's, you know, day laborer's wages for almost 10 years. It was a significant amount of money. Now the term over time, interestingly enough, and we alluded to this again in past weeks, over the time, because it represented an entrustment, it's come to actually mean that in our language. So when we talk about someone is talented, we're basically saying is they have this gift, right? But it goes all the way back to the entrustment, the gift, that they were that in the parable of the story of Jesus, that was called a talent. That's how we even use the word. It says that he, this businessman gave, gave each one um, a certain amount depending on their ability. It says to the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability as he perceived it. And immediately he went on his journey. And then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. And he made another five, so he doubled it. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also, doubled his. But the one who had only been given one, he went out and he dug it in the ground and he hid his Lord's money. Now, pick back up, and this is in the handout, this is a slightly different version. It's, it's going to take a little bit more license with it. In fact, it will give the, the talent a value of $1,000. So just kind of, but it, it kind of gives us a different way of understanding the story. Look what it says. So picking it up. So after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and he settled up with them. And the one that was given 5,000, the five talents, he showed up and, and he showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. He said, good work. You did an amazing job. Good job. From now on, you'll be my partner. The older version says, well, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. My favor is yours. The servant with 2,000 showed him how he had doubled his master's investment. And his master said, great work, good work. You did your job well. Again, well done, good and faithful servant. Same exact blessing. Join me in my business. The servant, though, that was given 1,000 said, Master, I know, I know you have high standards and that you hate careless ways and that you demand the best. I understand the kind of man that you are. I understand how you run your business and that you demand the best and you make no allowances for error. And I was, here's a key, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid here of disappointing you. And so what I did, right, is is because I was afraid, I might disappoint, I found a good hiding place and, and I secured your money, I hid it, I made sure none of it was lost. And here it is, it's, it, it's safe, it's sound, down to the last cent, I've got all of it, all of it back, it's all yours, it's all here, everything, everything you gave me, I lost nothing. The master was furious. There's a, remember, Jesus is telling a story, it's just a story to illustrate something. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done I mean, it would have been to invest the sum with 
the bankers where at least you would have gotten a, I would have gotten a little interest. Take, take the thousand, give it, give it to the one who risked the most, and get this, and look at the phrase, the way it's captured in the message, I love it. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out in utter darkness, that's a way of saying put him into prison. It's pretty intense, the story. And, and it's clear when you read it, it's all about, right? It's, this, is, this is all about the, ones, the, talent, the one talented servant, is that he's the real focus. And, and it's what he, Jesus is using him to illustrate principles for his disciples, firstly, and for all of us who would be his disciple. And what is a disciple? It's a man or woman who's made a commitment to follow Jesus. Literally, it means a disciplined one, one who comes under a discipline. It involves more than a kind of tacit acknowledgement of someone being our Savior and Lord. That may be what salvation involves. Indeed, it does. But a disciple is someone who makes a commitment to follow and follow in the path of their master. And so Jesus is using this story to illustrate principles. Here's at least a few of them that we can be thinking about. And I've got one that I think is really important for us as well that it just, I think, takes the centerpiece. But I want us to see a couple of things here and hopefully implement them in our own life with God and just our whole life, our, our whole life period. But one of the things that's pretty clear here is we look at the teaching through the lens of what Jesus was doing through the one-talent servant, the one-talent entrusted servant, is that, number one, when it comes to this, you know, how we, are, and we'll put this up for you, how we actually define faithfulness. Faithfulness can be, never be defined as staying where we are. So this is really important because sometimes we might think, well, you know, being faithful in our commitment to God is sort of like, you know, I'm just holding true to certain things that I believe, you know, or keeping kind of a status quo in my life with God. But he, he makes it clear that real faithfulness is never simply defined as staying where we are. I mean, there's, there's a part of this that reminds us consistently that God calls us to contend and to increase. That at the very least, we are to be pursuing increase. And one of the mistakes the fearful servant made was the, he made a virtue out of caution, right? He, I mean, he was almost like he, he, he saw that as like that was a good thing, being extra cautious, he goes, remember his phrase, I was afraid, I was afraid, so I was extra careful, right? Now, now caution is good. It's, it's uh, true. Some of us can actually be quite reckless. There's no question about that. Um, recklessness is something that can get us into trouble. Some of us can have a pattern. I'm not, we're, we're all kind of different, but some of us might be more inclined to be reactive, impetuous. We see a good deal. We can't turn it down. We've got to act. Um, some of us have a pattern in our lives that we've established that we get worked up about something and we'll just do, go for it. And sometimes the consequences can be, um, d there's a real downside to that because we didn't think it through. So, you know, clearly recklessness and, and not being cautious, it, it, has a, it, it can be a problem for us. And some of us, if we have a pattern of that and that's been the way we kind of do things, then we would do well to slow things down when we're in these situations where we just want to go and act. Because a lot of times, not only will we hurt ourselves, we're people who are loving, who we love and, and who love us and who are depending on us or are connected to us or are affected by our decisions. So sometimes if we see that that's our tendency to sort of you know, shoot first, aim second, right? Uh, 
then I think we, we would do well to bring others into our conversation before we make moves. But some of us, we have the exact opposite issue. Our issue is not being reckless, it's being excessively cautious. And sometimes it's because we're afraid. And sometimes those fears are real fears that are connected to experiences we've had that we have either failed miserably, been hurt deeply, and so we, we, when certain situations arrive, arise, our first tendency is to be extra cautious. Passive, fearful, reluctant, hesitant, however we want to describe it. And so it, it is this, and in this parable, we, we really do see, right? I mean, the, his, his excuse is that he's, af he's afraid. Um, literally, he's almost like he's frozen in fear. He won't pursue increase because of his fear. He was stuck in his fear. I was thinking about that whole idea of being stuck in our fear. It reminded me of something that happened. It happened with, I was, I was with my kids. Uh, well, three of our four <laughs> children, we, when it was 15 years ago, so that was 2001, before 9-11. And I wanted to, always wanted to, to go up Half Dome. And so we were, we would spend a lot of our summers and visiting national parks as a family. And so I remember, um, pretty vividly, actually, in my mind, going to Yosemite and, and climbing Half Dome, the backside, not the, not the front side, right? And so, um, and here's a little picture of, of, our, of our family. This is the three, the three of our kids. My wife was, was back with our youngest and sacrificed and just let us go. We got up real early, got to the, the bottom of Half Dome, the backside of Half Dome, where it had, I don't know if you could see it, and I know some of you might already be aware of it, but there are these cables that people go up Half Dome on, and they sort of, uh, allow you, there's a lot of lines. Now you have to have a permit. Back then, uh, you didn't. But they're pretty, pretty intense. My kid, at the time, my, my kids were pretty young still. Kayla was like 12, Chloe was 11, and Jacob was, I think, 8. So it was a real adventure. And I must tell you that when I got to the bottom, there was this huge pile of gloves at the time. And again, like I said, this was before they started requiring permits. And uh, I remember getting there, and I was looking around, and I was going, man, I mean, you know, my it's not a lot, a lot of little kids. There are not a lot of kids here right now. And then, and the ones who were there, they had like harnesses on. Their parents had put harnesses on because oh, you can see that, see that right there. That is one of the more precarious places uh, going up the cables because what happens is people have when it, when a rain hits, sometimes it gets very slippery. That particular facing is where some people have fallen to their death. They literally slid right off. So it, 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 it there there was some element of concern there. And uh, I, remember, I remember because we were walking up, right? And you can see it gives you a different perspective of it. And I remember I said the problem was that people, when you go up, right, there's not a lot of room for those going down. And so it was always this really interesting situation where you can get traffic jams or if someone starts to panic, the whole thing gets sort of clogged. And um, so I had my three. And I said, well, we came this far, right? We're going. And so... And, and, and we started going up, and about halfway up, you know, my daughter, who was like either 10 or 11, she, she, I think she was 11 at the time, she, and she was super brave, but she, all of a sudden, she got really, she just like froze. And, and I remember, uh, if I was telling, okay, this is going to be, and she says, okay, she heard me tell this story at the earlier service. She was listening online to the live service in Ghana, Africa, with her husband, where they serve as teachers on a two-year little mission project that they're doing. 
And she goes, I was, she texted me, right? She goes, dad, you threw me under the bus, you know? <laughs> right? She goes, she said, she goes, did you tell them why I was afraid? And I go, you know, she goes, do you remember that guy? And I go, no, I don't. Oh, oh I do remember. Now I remember. Because what I had done was when she stopped, I said, Chloe, I want you to, I want you to come. I want Jake, I want you to kind of go around Chloe. Chloe, I want you to be, I want, I'll be right behind you. And we're just going to take a step up, right? But what she said was there was this guy. Remember? She goes, what triggered me was there was this man who when we were on the very bottom, we were all kind of looking up there and thinking about getting in the, and he, he said, it's no problem. Your family can handle, you guys can handle this. And she says, and so we kind of like, she goes, what got me was he stopped halfway in a panic, turned around and started scooting back down, <laughs> right? And she says, and it scared her as she just like totally froze. And so we were stuck too, and there's not a lot of room to maneuver. And I so, but eventually Chloe collected herself, right? And we said, I'm right behind you. The boys were right in front of her. We just started, we just started, and eventually she got up, she did fine, right? But the point was there was that moment where she was literally paralyzed in her fear. I mean, she couldn't move. Here's the thing, in life we get to these places where honestly, we don't, we don't, we're, we don't feel like we can move forward. We're totally afraid to go backwards. Either way has certain precarious things to it. We're just stuck. And we feel like we're just stuck. And in that place, we can be really, we can, our fear can get the best of us. And I'll tell you this, I mean, it's not the whole, the whole point of it, but I, I, it helps in those moments clearly not to be alone. And to have someone saying, hey, I'm behind you. And have someone on the front saying, I'm right in front of you. And that's, and then, and then the thing is, there's going to be moments where God's going to want us to teach, teach us how to be courageous. I'm not just like talking. All of us have things that make us afraid. I understand, Chloe, because I understand what she, she was starting to feel panicky. That's why she, she, she felt unsafe for a bit there. And then that thing, then that, that, that guy who had been talking so much, telling her how easy it was, him melting down, triggered her, right? And so she got scared. And that, in that moment, it was hard to keep moving up, but she had to. And I think in the, there are moments in our lives where God's going to call us. Look, what was the parable in the parable? What is he afraid? I was afraid. Why didn't I put it into play? Because I was afraid. I was afraid. And fear will do that. Fear will keep us from, from using the things that God has given us to increase, to pursue increase, right? Is it, a lot of times we just get stuck. And do you know how much your courage sometimes? Somebody else might go, oh, that's nothing. But for us, this is a, it's a big deal. It really is. It's a big deal. And we need God. We need the Lord to help us. Again, you're going to say, oh, they're weak. No, we all have weak spots. All of us. Right buttons are pushed, certain things will happen. It doesn't show up the same way. But one of the things God wants to teach us is how to move into our fear with courage and to trust him. It's true we should trust the Lord all the time, but in fearful places, we really need to trust him. We need to trust him to help us move a little at a time. Because here's the deal. Sometimes we say, well, you know, I, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't take the shot. I can't take the shot. I, I, I don't even want to try. I'm going to fail. I, I don't even want to commit. If I commit to it, then I, I'll just disappoint. You know, again, what was interesting, he, he said, I didn't want to try because I was afraid I'd disappoint you. Sometimes we're afraid we'll disappoint ourselves, disappoint God, disappoint other people. So I'm not even going to commit. I'm, no, I'm not even, I'm not even going to do that. 
I was afraid. I was afraid what? That I wouldn't be able to fall. I wouldn't do it right. So I didn't even try. I remember what Wayne Gretzky said when he was talking about the great Hall of Fame uh, hockey player. He, he was talking about, well, aren't you afraid sometimes? Because you take shots all over the place. And he says, listen, one, he goes, aren't you afraid of, you, you, you miss too much? He says, no. He says, this is what I, he goes, listen. He goes, you are guaranteed to miss 100% of the shots you never take. You'll miss 100% of the ones you never take. And there's something about that mentality that is helpful for us. And the idea is that sometimes God's saying, you've got to take the shot. You've got to take the shot. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to take the shot. You've got to do it sometimes. Step, I'm with you, right? And that leads right in. And why was he reluctant to do it? Because maybe he thought, you know what? They can risk. Ten, the, the five guy, yeah, he can risk. He does, if, if his doesn't work out, he's still got a whole lot to work with. The, the, the guy with my friend with two, he's okay. Because he can lose half of what he has. He still has one. But if I you lose what I've been given, and, and I could, then I've got nothing. And I'll be totally a disappointment. I'm not even going to try. That's the mentality. But here's the thing what the Lord wants to teach us. Because the way he reacts in the story, the way the story is given... It's telling us something. And here's the second piece to think about. It's telling us that putting our little, and I say that qualified, our little into play matters to God. And there's a ton of examples in it. One, for example, that Jesus was constantly giving us examples about this. Look what he says in Matthew 10. We'll put this up. Matthew 10, 41 through 42. He says, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. By the way, these two verses... They are pregnant with meaning, and they're far more deep and profound and suggestive than they might be on the initial reading. There's an intensity about this statement that goes well below the surface of what it seems to be saying. I'm going to emphasize one aspect of it, but it's got a, a deeper component to it. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive the righteous people because of their righteousness, you'll be given a reward like theirs. And if you, and here's the, here's the part that I would like us to see, if you give even a cup of cold water to the least of these my followers you will be rewarded Jesus said just a cup that's that's not a lot on another occasion Jesus said this about faith he said you don't have enough faith I tell you the truth if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed small as a mustard seed Principally speaking, this thing could be dislodged. Move from here to there. It would move. Nothing would be impossible. Don't forget how much power you have in God to see things move at a spiritual level. Principally speaking, this is a jar that's full of mustard seeds. But if I only picked out, the reason there's a whole bunch of them in there is because if I only had picked one, you wouldn't believe, you just say, oh, he's got an empty bottle. They're that tiny, right? Maybe, maybe somebody on the front row might go, oh, yeah, I see it. But it's so small. Think about what Jesus was saying. You don't have to have a lot for, for me to work with. I can, I can work with such a little thing if you'll let it be activated. I've heard people say, oh, I don't have enough faith. I say, you don't need, you don't need enough, that's okay. The very fact that we're having this conversation tells me you have enough. There are times where I've said, Lord, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. I, I don't have enough. I, I don't have enough. I'm going to sink. I'm not going to make it. Oh, you can. Because you don't need a lot. You just need a little. A little mustard seed. A little small seed. And let me do the rest. 
you don't need to take get up to the top. You just need to take one step. And you know what I've always said, and we could talk a whole lot about this too. All a step is, is falling forward. That's all it is. I'm just falling forward and trusting grace, the rhythm of grace. Another example, and this, one's, uh, this one is in your handout. It's right here. And I put this in there. Because there was this moment where Jesus, he's, he's in the temple. Check this out. He's in the temple. And it says that he sat down. This is in Mark 12. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. This is interesting, right? Jesus sits down, goes to church. He's in the temple. And he goes to the place where people would give. They would give their tithes and their offerings when they came to church. And he's watching for the Lord's work, for the administration, the ministry, for the community to serve God. And he's watching. It says, it says he sat opposite. So he sat from a distance, and he's watching how people give. Now, it says here that there were some people, and this was true, they, there were certain gifts that were so extravagant and significant that there would be almost a celebration in the giving. Great people gave great gifts, and they were acknowledged. Wow. Jesus didn't say, oh, they're awful. Oh, that's hypocritical. He didn't really say it. Now, other times he did. But in this, that's not what he's saying. He wasn't opposed to that at all. He just said, he says, he, was, he, says, he tells his disciples, look what it says. He calls his disciples over, and he, and he basically says, as they're watching these people give, he says, hey, um, come here. I want, you, I want to show you something. It's like he says, I know what you're seeing. It seems they're talking about giving. And, and so, do you want to know? Do you want to see? Do you know who the, the true hero is here? They said, he goes, you see that? Now, only Jesus would know this. He says, do you see? You see that, that woman right there? The, the, the woman that's putting, that's in the section over there putting where they put the lesser stuff, the smaller gifts, that one. You see her? Yeah, we see her. But she, that, that woman, who no one notices right now, but I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you, you want to know what's true here? That's her right there. She, see, the, that's the, you want to see the hero here? That's the one right there, that woman right there, that widow right there. They have given out of their abundance. That's great. That's good. But do you understand? That woman who says here, gave, look at this, came and put two small copper coins in, which make a penny. And he said, truly, I'm going to tell you something. That woman, that poor widow right there, she has given more than them all. She has literally given her all. They have given out their abundance. She, gave, she has nothing and she's given it. You don't That, what is he saying? The Lord sees. Now, one, he watches how we give. That's true. That, that, but he also sees things that other people miss. The little thing means something to him. Oh, who's she? She's nothing, nothing. Nobody noticed. But he noticed. He noticed. Do you see a pattern? A cup of cold water. A seed of faith the size of a mustard seed, right? A grain. A penny offered in the shadows by somebody nobody even noticed. 
I remember there was another example. There were people flocking around Jesus. He was popular. He was teaching by the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a lake, the Lake of Gennesaret, but it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's shaped like a harp, actually. And it's got these beautiful hues and colors and of light blue and, and cream and orange. It's very pretty. That's where the disciples, many of them were called when they were fishing, fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus was teaching on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a huge group of people who were being so attentive, so enthusiastic, so willing to listen to Jesus through the, the course of the day that he had a heart for them. And he, he wanted to bless them, not only spiritually as he was doing, but he started to feel like, you know what, maybe we need to take care of them. They've been here all day. They're probably tired and hungry. I would love to be able to feed them. And so he asked the disciples, do we have anything left to, to, to use uh, to help feed these people? Because I'd like to do that. And they said, Lord, we've got nothing. We don't even have any money to feed. How can we feed a multitude like this? Well, we're, there's 5,000 men alone, not on top of the women and children. There's so many people. How can we feed that multitude of people? And so Jesus said, knowing what he would do, said, so what do you have? Look at, look at how John renders it. Look at what John says. This is John. One of his disciples, Andrew. Oh, by the way, Andrew, he's not known as a great disciple. He's not Peter. But every time you see Andrew mentioned in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. That's pretty cool to me. There is no Peter without the Andrew. Anyway, that's a brother. Said, said to, he said to him, look, there is a lad here. Here he goes again. I have this little guy. He must have gotten into a conversation with him. And he's got five little loaves of bread and, and two small fish. Now, but then it's almost like he's catching himself. I don't even know what I'm thinking. Why am I even bringing this up? I mean, what are they amongst so many? And the knee's so big, obviously, it's a dent. I just thought I'd mention it. And little, little did he know that little is much in the hand of the master because that was the impetus for what becomes one of Jesus' greatest recorded miracles in all the scripture, where he literally begins to multiply the bread and the fish to feed the multitude. It comes that is the catalyst for it. The phrase, if I can just put that verse back up one more time. Look at the phrase. That's a great phrase at the bottom. But what are they among so many? It's like, well, what difference would it make? And he's so small, so insane. Does it really make any difference at all? I would say absolutely it does. I mean, you look at this, right? You, because look what happens with Jesus. When he is involved in something... It, it changes everything. We might go, I don't even know why I brought it. Well, he knows, you know? And a lot of times I think that, that he, he's reminding us that certain things that we think aren't that big of a deal, oh, they're so little, no one will notice, no one cares. Who can say that God does not You want to use that little act of service on our part, that little margin of time that we're giving to him, that little thing that we've committed ourselves to, that no one ever will see it, but we know it, and we're doing it under the Lord. I was talking to somebody, we never know. I mean, in a, in a Sunday school class, we, we've just come to serve and to help out, and, and some little one opens up their heart, some child, some like, like my kids did when they grew up through through the to Sunday school, and, and faith was put into their heart and complemented what their parents were teaching them, and all of a sudden that faith grows in their own life as well. But the, the difference that someone can make just creating an environment for this, someone to learn, and then that faith sticks with them all the days of their lives, and even if they run away from God, God's never far away. He's on their trail always. Why? 
because they've had that seed of faith planted, because someone was willing to serve in a way that didn't get a lot of fanfare, whether it's that, welcoming someone in to a church. And a lot of times it's just the little things that we do that create, by the way, the bigger opportunities for God to do amazing things. Sometimes it's the conversation we weren't even looking for that happened because we were there serving with humility. And God created something out of which came an unanticipated blessing that we could have never predicted, that only occurred because we were willing to do the thing that otherwise would not really make much of a difference in some people's eyes. But God sees, Jesus sees, the one matters to him. And we need to put the one into play. Here's the other principle, I think we understand it, and these two is fast, because what we do not use, we will lose. That's what Jesus says. Take the, take it, take it. If we bury it, we're going to lose it. Take the talent from the fearful servant, give it to the one who turned the five into ten. Look, all, you know what was lost? When we bury things, we lose them. You say, oh, so little means nothing. No, we lose all the good that was meant to come from that. What was lost was not the money. It was all back. It was the increase that was lost. It was the blessing that was meant to be that was given away because it wasn't put into play because it doesn't really matter anyway. But who can say what that little will do? That little conversation, that little smile, that little, that little unexpected development that occurred because all we were doing was being obedient, whether it was with our little time or our little act of service or our little, little bit of love offered in his name. I'm telling you, Little matters. And God reminds us consistently that if we don't, if we don't use it, we'll, we will lose it. And, and there are times when the price of not risking is going to be higher than the price of risking. And, and I think really it is, it is the parable's conclusion is an articulation of a principle, isn't it? That talents unrisked, neglected, underdeveloped, vanished. They rot in the ground for a lack of use. But the opposite is also true. And this is where we will leave it be. For when we are faithful with what we've been entrusted with, when we use what we have been given, more will be given. It will come back to us in ways unexpected, unanticipated, and not always proportional to what we were putting out and giving away. So here's the question that prevails. What is the Lord asking us to put into play? For some of us, we made a decision to serve, put it into play. For some of us, God's calling us and challenging us about our giving. We're giving way below what we should be doing for the Lord's work. Put it into play. Some of us, it might be we've been given a house, something of, of a place. It may be a small place. Maybe God's saying, use that as a place to house something, like a small group. Put it into play. Put your blessing into play. Don't let it rot in the ground it won't matter anyway and it doesn't really motivate Nah, come on let's not die clutching our gold let's put it let's put it into play let's put it into play and let's pray all right lord i thank you because again what you teach us is that the little matters to you but really it matters to us we just don't always know it but i thank you for small steps i thank you for small things that often leverage out way beyond what we could have thought. You know, the little points of obedience, of responsiveness to when you're prompting us to be courageous or to 
or to just serve in a humble way, those little things that open the door for you to do other things that are far more profound and unexpected. Again, I just thank you because your way is not the way of our, our world and our culture. It's, it's a different way, but it's the way of life. And so I ask for your blessing. Let this word settle in. Remind us to put our gifts into play and our service into play. Bless our time of giving. Bless this closing song. It'll be our closing word in melody offered up in your name. I ask this together with all of us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.